Absolutely fantastic. Um, just watching so many students just worshiping their hearts out with their hands raised and seeing hearts change and having conversations about what, what their thoughts and views of God were and how, how they're changing and how they're wrestling with things and, and loving Jesus more. So fantastic. I've got a couple of things. Um, I'm Jamie, one of the pastors here. Good to see you guys. Um, number one, um, July is when, uh, by the elders uh, just extending to me uh, graciously, uh, I take a preaching break. Um, so I do other things. I'm going to do a deep study and, and prepare for our next series. Um, there will be looking at infrastructure, spending time before the Lord. I'll be preaching at other churches. Actually, next week I'll be uh, in Knoxville. And so uh, just to let you know, uh, that's what happens kind of in July every year. Um, so be looking for that. Um, and then the second thing is we're about halfway through the year. And so with the CBR or with our Summit Daily Bible reading together as a church, Old and New Testament, I just want to remind you we're halfway through. Kind of do a mental check. Where are you? Are you, are you if you kind of fell off the, the wagon, jump back on. We're through Leviticus. Right? We, we get, yeah. <laughs> we got through Leviticus, so we're in Numbers now. So for the Old Testament, so jump back in. If that scared you off, it's okay. Come back. The, the water's fine. You know, um, jump back in. Um, and you want to say, why do we push reading the Bible? Um, because, well, we'll just do one reason this morning, because our faith needs strengthening. And, and our faith is strengthened where our understanding of the object of our, our faith grows. And it's not so much that, that anything about Jesus changes, but our understanding of who He is and His love and His mercy and His grace towards us, it changes. And when that changes and we see, oh, He's bigger than that and He's more, he's more beautiful than that, faith in obedience bows to that and grows, right? And that, that's how faith grows, is our, our, the knowledge of the object of our faith. And so we say, we want you to read the Bible so that it gets into your head and the Spirit pushes it into your heart so that you can love Jesus more, you can be more obedient to Him, you can, you can have your faith strengthened so that you're not following your heart, you're not going after your desires, you're not you know, having yourself lead yourself around, that it's the Word of God leading us to the throne. We want to do that together as a body. So, with that in mind, grab your Bibles, turn to Mark uh, 14. If you're new, we typically go through books of the Bible. We've been in the book of Mark for since August, I think. Um, we'll take breaks and come back, um, but we're, we're on a roll right now. and We're turning through, we're getting through the last week uh, of Jesus before uh, the cross. We're up to uh, a Passover, right? And so Jesus has been preaching about the kingdom, he's been preaching about the kingdom through teaching, through performing miracles, through healing people, uh, casting out demons. And so this is his last week. And I'm taken with this story this week. Um, it really convicted me. Um, and, and I hope we can meditate on it together uh, and see what the Spirit of God will do in our hearts and our lives. So three points uh, this morning. Number one, devoted. We see a woman devoted. Number two, we see a woman scolded. And then number three, commended, just to, to help us encapsulate where we find the gospel kind of worked out or displayed in this text this morning. So let's do like Mark, who wrote this gospel, right? And let's start the way that he does. He frames the story. So if you've got your Bibles in your hand, look at verses 1 and 2, and then look at verses 10 and 11. And you know, Mark does this a lot. And, and Matthew picks up on it for this story, but it's called a Markin sandwich, right? He'll, he'll do stuff at the beginning and stuff at the end, and then he'll stick a story in between, and he does that to kind of set off the story. So look at verses 1 and 2, um, and, and what we see there is, uh, now it's two days before Passover and, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief and the priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. Talking about Jesus. And they said, 
not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So that's one and two, so they're planning to kill him. And then 10 and 11, then Judas Iscariot, who's one of the 12, went with the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when he heard it, they were glad, and they promised him money, for he sought an opportunity to betray him. So do you see a theme? The theme would probably be uh, treachery or hostility. This is against Jesus. So that's the, before this story and after this story. And so in the middle, this literary sandwich is used to highlight what's in the middle, and it's a woman with a jar of anointing oil for Jesus. And this shines a spotlight contrasting and, and elevating the opposite of treachery. Reckless abandon, kindness, extravagant devotion to Jesus. It also highlights the setting. All right, think about the setting, right? That, that plans by Jesus' enemies are currently, as this story is happening, they're being put into motion to betray and to kill him. That's what's happening during the story that we're looking at today. Now, with that in mind, let's look at the story. Let's, let's look at the woman's devotion. Look at verse 3. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of, of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now, Bethany was a, a quiet village. It was right outside of Jerusalem. So where, you know, Jerusalem was the busyness and, and the chaotic time of Passover. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people, they all come to town three times a year at least for the, one of the, this feast, and this was Passover. It was just crazy. And so Jesus, as we've read in, in Mark 12 and, uh, and before, they would kind of come to town for the day, and then they'd go back to Bethany. And they'd go back uh, to town the next day, and they'd go back to Bethany when he turned over the tables and all in the temple. That's same place he was coming from. We're in the same part of the story. Now, who's this woman? John identifies her as Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and uh, Martha, if you remember from that story. Um, but Mark leaves her unnamed. He doesn't find that her name is important to the story. Right? What I do want you to do, or, or to, to make note of, is this is not the same woman um, from Luke 7, 36 and 37, which was, um, it's a, it's, it was at a, a Pharisee's house, and, and um, it was a, a woman that come, a woman of the city, a sinner, a prostitute, they assume, that comes in and washes Jesus' feet. This is a different story, all right? So we don't, other than what Mark tells us and what John says in John 12, we don't know a lot about this woman, and that's kind of on purpose. And the scene is set with, with Jesus, so kind of put yourself in the story. We had it read just a second ago. The scene is set with Jesus and all his disciples and whomever else, Simon, uh, that probably Jesus healed because he's a leper and, and so he's, he's restored evidently. And they're gathered around this big table. And they're ready to have this meal together, right? This is a big deal. Meals are a big deal when you, when you eat in this in first century. And so it's probably a bit awkward for this woman just to kind of come in, probably wasn't invited, shows up, and proceeds to enter the house and approaches Jesus. He's probably interrupting their conversation. Now, first of all, consider the self-forgetfulness of this woman. Walking in a room of all men in the first century, very patriarch, you know, patriarchic, uh, patriarchal society, very culture, women had little value. Look at her courage. Look at her tenacity. Right? She's unaffected by the crowd. 
And she proceeds to Jesus. Do you know the difference between fitting in and belonging? If you've been to junior high, you, you do. <laughs> right? You know the difference. I'll take either one, <laughs> whatever it is, right? Fitting in, because we want to be included, we want to be accepted, we want to be loved, we want to be included by a group. Fitting in is changing who you are so that you belong to a group, right? So that you are included in a group. Belonging is being accepted for who you are, but being included in a group, right? So that's the difference, right? Fitting in is changing who you are to be in a group, and belonging is being accepted for who you are to be in a group. And both, you want to be included. And guess what? Ne- neither one is she. <laughs> she's not, she doesn't belong, she doesn't fit in. She, she's so preoccupied with getting to Jesus that this unfriendly setting it doesn't slow her one bit. She's operating out of the freedom that comes from being single-minded and focused on Jesus. That's what I love about this story and this woman. She has nothing to prove and no one to impress. I just like to live like that. Nothing to prove and no one to impress. (laughs) I'd love it. I'd like to say that I live like that. And then I find myself in a situation going, I am acting in such a way as to impress this person right now. I'm doing it right now. I'll find myself doing that. And I'm not saying that, that um, you don't care about what people think at all and you don't consider what anybody says is important. What, what I'm saying is you're not flattered and you're not flattened by people's opinions. Right? They may matter. You may consider that, take that before the Lord. That's fine. That happens a lot. The opinions of men and women are less important than what God says, what Jesus thinks. And what God thinks, we, we, we value that to the degree that we are able to courageously follow Jesus, worship Him regardless of the kickback that we get. And that's why, that's why I love this story, that she is fearlessly devoted to Jesus in this really uncomfortable, progressively hostile environment, Right? And she takes this alabaster jar and it held, holds this really extravagant, expensive oil and she just breaks it and pours it over Jesus' head. Now, in today's world, you'd be thinking, well, that's pretty odd, right? Like if you were at dinner and you know, somebody just walked in and <coughs> just starts pouring you know, shampoo over your head, you'd be like, well, this is, this is weird, but it's... It's a different culture. We have to be reminded of that. Uh, you know, if somebody just walked up to you and poured essential oils all over your, your head, and you'd be like, oh, well, thank you very much. This room smells great, right? Thank, thanks for that. You know, that's kind of what, you know, it's a little closer. Not really. Um, scholars are assuming that this, this oil, I'm not going to go into Himalayan plant life and explain to you the, the essence of nard and act like I know what I'm talking about, right? Because I don't. Um, I think what the point of the story is that this is expensive. It's a big deal, right? Either, does the scholar say that either, either this was part of her wedding dowry and it was what was the gift to go with her wedding, right? And it was everything was going to be included. This one little flask was going to be everything. Or it was for her burial pr- preparation. It was very expensive because the disciples going to comment on it, right? They said, hey, that could be sold for 300 denarii. Well, one day's wages, a normal job was a denarius. And so 300 is about a year's wages. So think of this as somewhere in the neighborhood of $40,000 a 
and a vial poured out on Jesus' head at once. Right? All at once. One-time use. You don't get that back. And so it represents to her her future, her hope. I want to be married. I want this, her dreams, maybe. And she breaks it. And so once you break this type of flask, you don't go back. You go, oh, you know, put it back in there. It's broken. It's not opened. It's broken. And it shows a reckless abandon. It's all or nothing. She's given the whole thing and, and nothing to spare. And her gratitude to Jesus causes her to want to freely give up her most prized possession. Now just think and, and be in that moment for a second. She's devoted. And remember the context. Remember we read verses 1 and 2 and verses 10 and 11. Right? The enemies of Jesus. The treachery that's being plotted right now during this moment. And maybe given the context set forth by Mark, with Jesus' enemies mentioned on either side of the story, he was thinking something along the lines of what we read in Psalm 23. You set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know. Jesus knew his Bible. And the way Mark sets up that story just puts Jesus right there. She was devoted to him. Number two, let's see what the response of the disciples is. It's a scolding, right? Verse four, look at verse four. And it says, and there were some who said to themselves indignantly, it's a big word for with anger, right? Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. And the Greek word there is actually they snorted at, you know, kind of a snort. Like, huh, good grief, ridiculous. That's the original Jesus juke, right? You know what a Jesus juke is? When you say something and somebody comes back, well, Jesus wouldn't have done that, you know, and it's like, whoa, whoa, he got you, right? That's kind of like, well, that should have been sold for the poor. Like, oh, yeah. They're wielding that like a weapon. And John records that, that Judas said this, right? Because he used to take money from the disciples' funds for himself, and so he wanted that purse to be padded. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, that could have been for the poor, you know? They used the poor as a cloak for their selfishness, for their lack of understanding, really. They all seem to agree about it, though. I mean, Christ... Jesus isn't against caring for the poor. Don't, don't read that. A lot of times I, I hear, well, you know, the poor you're going to have with you always. Jesus says that in the next verse. Now, the poor you've, you've got with, you know, the poor you have with you always, so don't worry about them. That's kind of the way it kind of feels sometimes. And that's, that's not, not, no, that's not what's going on here. Um, it's because Jesus knows the law. If you have been going with Summit daily and you did read through Leviticus, you'd know that. Right? Leviticus 19. If you remember that day. If you remember the story of Ruth, how about that? Ruth and Boaz and Boaz's field. And, and, and Leviticus 19 is written uh, from the law to take care of the poor. So when a farmer is harvesting his field, don't go all the way to the boundaries. Don't go all the way. Leave some for the poor people. 
And so that's what Ruth was doing. She was gleaning what was left for the poor. So Jesus knows, hey, you, you, you've got that opportunity to take, you've got an obligation and an opportunity for the poor as an ongoing way to follow the law, to follow Jesus. That, that, you're, that's normative. That's normal. So that's expected. That should be an everyday thing. I'm with you <laughs> right now. Son of man, God in the flesh right here. That's not a normal circumstance because you're not always going to have Jesus with you. And so he says, leave her alone. We need to put the priority on Jesus right now. She's actually in the right, guys. Now here's the convicting and the humbling part, at least for me this week. I would have been numbered with the disciples, quite honestly. I would have been indignant. I'd have been snorting in the background. Good grief! Can you believe what this woman is? Look at this. I wouldn't say it out loud because I would want to have a pleasant disposition because I don't want to be thought differently. Than, you know, I don't want anybody to really know what's going on in my heart. But I'd be, I'd be saying that. It's ridiculous. Look at that. What a waste. Because I'm practical. I'm, ba- I'm a functional. I'm <laughs> like, come on, man. It's ridiculous. There's places, mission. I know all kinds of missions organizations that money could go to. There's so much more good that could be done than, than wasting that on, on one, just all at once. What's her problem? She must not be thinking straight. I mean, I got four kids, right? I like to think of myself as frugal. Not cheap. Frugal. I think of things like through the grid of how many Little Caesars hot and ready's can that buy? Right? How many, how, many, how many mouths can I feed and how long will it stay in the fridge? Right? Because this story just kicks me around and, and it makes me think. I mean, we go to a restaurant, it's like, Dad, can I get, no, we're drinking water. That's not even a question. It's free. That's, you're not paying two fifty for a Coke, you know, because everything you do is times four. You don't care. You don't have a job. You're not, you don't have to make any money. Somebody else got to do all that. You know? And so I'm thinking, I would be all for this woman giving some of her oil to Jesus. That would be okay. Just a little dabble, do you? Right? I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the thought that counts. I would fall on all this wonderful folklore and, and these sayings. You don't need to give all of it. He doesn't need all of it. He's God. He doesn't need anything. He's got a cattle on a thousand hills. Come on. <sighs> Then you're going to have nothing. What if you need it later? Are you being wise? Have you read Proverbs? You're not making any sense. Just give a modern day, a, a moderate amount, a respectable amount, and save the rest for a rainy day. That's what I would do. That is what is wise in my mind. And Jesus, but Jesus doesn't correct her. <laughs> he doesn't say, oh, that's foolish. Save that. This radical generosity, this extravagant gift. Now see, the world doesn't have too much of a problem when we radically devote our, our entire lives to, say, finding a cure for cancer. That's great. Go give your, spend everything you've got. Yes, we need that. That's valuable there. And we would agree with that. Or that if somebody makes a ton of money, like, say, Bill Gates, man, he goes into Microsoft, he makes millions of dollars, he's a philanthropist, he's giving tons of money away. Yes, devote your life to making money so that you can help other people. That is really valuable. Or the, or the environment. 
right? Spend your life, be as radical as possible so that the, the whole of humanity can gain from it. But to be radically devoted to Jesus seems to always have a stigma associated with it, even in the church. And for the same reason that the, the disciples are indignant here. Reckless abandonment to Jesus is seen as a waste and a foolish rather than normal. A little of Jesus to your life is enough. A little, a little dependence, right? A respectable discipleship. Middle of the road is fine. Go after that job that will provide for you and make, so that you can make your mark on the world first. Then you can add Christianity to that. And we would never say that. But it's how we think when we're making these life decisions. Right? I've got to get into a good school. I've got to get this. I've got to do that. I need to get a family. For, I need to do this. I've got to get married first. I've got, you know, we've got to get... And then we... You know, I, I think about our students who went to camp last week. I had some great talks with some of them. I had some people get saved, converted. Hearts turned upside down. First time. They started quiet times. They started wanting and desiring to walk closely with the Lord. And parents, I remember, I remember this happened a lot in college. Parents may be cool with a little Jesus and, 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 and a little bit more morality, right? Oh, well, they're acting a lot better now, you know. That's, that's really great. That's, that's helpful for me as a parent. You know, they're not kind of crazy and running off all half-cocked, and that's wonderful. But parents can start to get uncomfortable if you start talking about global missions, right? That's a little too extravagant right there. Okay, Jesus, he, he, people here need Jesus too, and, you know. I moved away from my mother. I mean, you know, like I, I know, I know how this goes, and I understand, and I'm starting to see it. And I, it's it's a, it's a it's a struggle, right? Jesus wouldn't ask that. That's not what we're seeing here. In fact, Jesus is teaching to the disciples over the last three years. Seems terribly ineffective, doesn't it? He doesn't seem like a very good teacher, because the disciples just don't get it they don't get the kingdom values they still don't now, and, and just a little earlier they confessed you're the messiah you're the son of the living god and they they confess with their mouth but they still have not seen and believed with their heart it's, it's coming he's so patient with us but they, they don't they don't see it yet they, they're with the messiah they're with god in the flesh and yet they don't see, they still don't understand, Jesus' kingdom values flip the world's values on their head. His kingdom doesn't value the same things that we value. How slow of heart are they? How slow of heart are we? That's what got me this week. I'm not numbered with the woman, I'm with the disciples, and I don't want that to be the case. I want to be more like this woman to have a single-minded pursuit of Jesus, radically devoted, giving everything that I have for the joy that's set before me. I want our church to be like that. I want us to live our lives like that. Wherever you say, wherever you go, wherever you call me to, I will lay down whatever it is. I can't make my heart want that. I'm, I'm gonna, I want to be dependent. I want to get on my knees. I want you to change my heart because I know that's where true joy is. That's what your word tells us. Number three, commended. Look at verse 6. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? 
She has done a beautiful thing to me. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. It says, for you have the poor with you always. Whenever you want, you can do good to them, do good for them, but you will not always have me. She's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, that's a little sobering. To hear somebody say, I've just been anointed for burial. Does she know what she's doing? I don't know. Maybe. Probably not. Jesus does. Jesus is keenly aware of what's happening here. This is a divine, sovereign plan. What's so beautiful about this? Why does he say she's done a beautiful thing to me? What makes it beautiful? I mean, yeah, the oil is expensive. We, we well established that. Yes, it represents her future and her hopes and desires, and therefore it's a great sacrifice. And it's all poured out on Jesus. But don't forget the context of this story. That's why I mentioned it for the third time. The enemies that Mark has framed for us in verses 1 and 2 and verses 10 and 11, that Jesus is on a path right now of being progressively abandoned by every relationship he has on earth. His family distanced themselves earlier by stating he's out of his mind. Remember? Several chapters ago. His closest disciples in this very chapter, Peter, James, and John, are about to fall asleep three times after he said, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, in the last chapter. Remember? When the Roman guards come to arrest Jesus, he'll be fully abandoned by all his disciples in the garden. And then a little bit later, while he's on trial, he will be fully denied by them when they have an opportunity to say, yes, we know Jesus. Finally, on the cross, he will be abandoned by his Father as he bears the full weight and punishment of our sin. And so this act by this woman, the reason it's beautiful is because it's the last act of kindness Jesus experiences as a human before walking into the torture of hell all alone. Just leave her alone. Let her be. She's done what she could. And that's the backdrop of this beautiful thing. Now, you know how Mark likes to, to do the Mark and Sandwich. If you back up to the end of chapter 12, it was maybe three weeks ago, we talked about the widow's two pennies. Do you remember that? And you remember how we, we talked about Jesus, and they were in the temple, and, and the disciples were around, and she puts two pennies in, and she, she put all she had, is what the Bible says, all she had, her bios, right, Greek, uh, her life. And Jesus says, guys, come here, look. That's what I'm talking about. That's radical generosity. That's trust and dependence. Remember that. Because Jesus was measuring, how, how was he measuring what she gave? Remember, it's not about the amount. It's not by what you give, it's by what you keep. It's not the amount you give, it's the proportion, it's the sacrifice. It's, it, it, that was the story. When Jesus is moved again by another woman giving sacrificially, it gets his attention. It says, guys, look, this is it. 
She's done what she could. And then he goes on in verse 9 to say, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This simple act of reckless abandon, abandoning trust, right, will be memorialized in the whole world, which is what the book of Mark is. <laughs> right? Every time we read this, I'm like, we're doing it right now. Even though she remains nameless, she didn't care about her name, she cared about his name, which is a great model for us. It reminds me of a quote by uh, a guy named Count Zinzendorf. How'd you like to have that name? I'm Count Zinzendorf, who are you? you know? <laughs> He's a, a bishop. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's to the point. What about the legacy thing? Yeah, that'd be great, but is that the point? Or is Jesus the point? It's not saying you won't be remembered. That's fine. It's that that's not what's most important. It's that our lives are poured out for Him. We've experienced Him. We've walked with Him. We, have, we, we want Him to be highlighted. So why is she famous with God? It's a different way to say that. Because of this self-forgetfulness and this preoccupation that she has with Jesus, because of this reckless abandon and extravagant generosity of releasing everything she has, it wasn't wrong. Even though my heart's going, oh, what a waste. Heart is wrong. Jesus didn't rebuke her for giving away a fortune on him. Now, I heard Kevin Young use this illustration once, so I'm not afraid to use it. But what if it's Pastor Appreciation Month, right? And, and elders all get together and they're like, hey, we want to do something really nice. We're going to buy Jamie a $40,000 watch. It's going to have a lot of bling. It's going to show how thankful we are. Man, you guys would be like, what? That's crazy. And then I'd be preaching the first time, and I'd just kind of throw it out there. Right? Because you know how I am. <laughs> but I'd have it up there, and I'd be like, I'd see your faces, and y'all be like aghast and indignant and, and scorning in your hearts at me. And I'd be like, no, no, relax. It's okay. I'm worth it. <laughs> right? Well, that would be untrue because that would not be right. I am not worth that. That would be wrong, grievous, grievously. But for Jesus to accept this gift and to not scorn her is for him to say, that's right. I am worth it. How do you measure Jesus' worth? I mean, it's simply true. The Son of Man, the purpose of our lives He's right here in this room, and you can't overgive. You can't overworship. Jesus, Jesus is worth it. We just have a limited view, and so we, we don't think like that, right? And you can't, if you trust him for this great salvation that's gained you. It, it was a great, it was an extravagant worship, a year's salary, and Jesus says, yes, this is a beautiful thing. Yes, this is the heart that the Father is seeking right here. This is it. See that? See her? That should be everybody, and one day it will. You want to get in on the show early? Come on. You do, do you know who I look at this? You haven't seen me. You guys are blind. I want your eyes to be open. This is the end to which we labor. This is the purpose to, to which we, this is why we do what we do. This is why the, the poor are cared for, so that more people will love Jesus more. 
That's why we do what we do. That's why we share the gospel. That's why we go on mission. It's to make disciples that make disciples so that more people will see Jesus and more people will love Jesus. So that their hearts will be satisfied. So that we'll fill the earth with the glory of God through worship, right? That, that is the point and the end of everything. That's why missions even exists because worship doesn't. We've said that a ton of times. This is the point of all things, that everything terminates on the worship of God. We do everything we do for this reason, ultimately. Not so that the church will grow, not so that our marriages will be strong, not so that we'll be good parents, not so that giving will increase. Although that's great. Those are wonderful things. Those are wonderful byproducts. But the ultimate goal is the worship of God. For you to see Him and respond naturally with our hearts going, yeah, that's right. He is worth everything. He's worthy to open the scroll. This is the mindset of the woman with the, with the jar of oil, right? That she's this worshiper in this hostile environment that has just kind of faded to the background. It's in the rearview mirror to her because she's approached the throne where Jesus is. The answer to everything for her. She's seen him to the degree that she says, everything I got, I've got, you know, the, the widow's might, I got only two cents. Well, you've got all of it. Oh, yeah, well, I got 40 grand. Well, you got all of it. I will give all of this to you. I want to give all this to you. She is tone deaf to the whispers from the disciples about her in the room. She had one objective to be with Jesus, to worship him, to give her all. Worship is never a waste. Every Sunday, never. Right? Never. It's while we gather, we should approach the throne with this mindset of just try and stop me from worshiping. Just try and stop me. I don't care if I don't know the song. I don't care if I don't like the style of music. I don't care if, if I don't like this leader or I don't like the preacher or, or even if I don't sing on key. I'm coming and you try and stop me. I've met God. He died that I might live. He, he promises that he's going to inhabit the praises of the people and I need to praise the king of kings. That, that is, that's the heart that he's saying. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that, guys. That's what I'm talking about. Their personal preferences, boom! Get out of the way. I want to get to Jesus. We're the whole realm of nature mind. That we're an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Um, there'll be three prayer directives.